someone stands by you, do they get wet from the overflow of grace? Do they see and understand the difference that Christ has made in you? Does your life bear the imprint of the Master so fully and so profoundly that no one could ever doubt that you belong to Christ? In this final sermon on the book of James, Pastor Jim addresses the calling for us to carry the ministry of reconciliation with authentic and powerful grace. He reminds us that God calls us to faithfully obey His command to go after those who've wandered away, and that our very life should bear the mark of that calling. So let's join Pastor Jim for the conclusion of his sermons on the book of James. Matthew 13, in the 44th verse, we receive two parables, two very short parables about the kingdom of heaven. First one says, verse 44, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy... He goes and sells all that he has to buy that field. Verse 45, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of a fine pearl, who on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Remember, Philip came to Jesus. Scripture says Jesus found Philip, called Philip. Philip went and got Nathaniel. Philip says to Nathaniel, we have found him. They have found him because that was what they were looking for. The people, the Jewish people, were looking for the Messiah. When people come wandering in here off the street, there is truly a certain aspect of them seeking God. But the real question is, what God are they seeking? What God are they seeking? Are they seeking the true God? Most of the time, the answer is no. Most of the time, it is no. They have a longing for something, for the true God. But that's not what they're seeking. Because when you find and when you hear the truth, it should be like this. When you come to the place of understanding and knowing Jesus because of what he has done in you, you should have nothing of value to you anymore. No, I didn't say go sell everything you have. You should have nothing that is more valuable to you than Christ that you would not give up for him. Is that how we feel? Is Christ more valuable to you than anything else? That's the parable. Sold everything to go buy the field. Sold everything to go buy the pearl. Are you willing to give up everything to follow after Christ? That was the true question to the rich young ruler. It wasn't about the amount of money he had. It was about what stood between him and truly following after Christ. Sometimes it's not our things that hinder us. Sometimes what hinders us from following after Christ and doing with all that we have and all that we are is our own pride. Our pride gets in the way of us hearing God. We're afraid of what it might look like. We're afraid of who might see. We're afraid that we may not be as important to somebody if they knew that we were sold out to Christ so we don't sell out. That is not what the wanderer looks like. The wanderer is willing to trade truth for a lie. He's willing to go after those things that God has not given. In Matthew chapter 22 and verse 29, this is Jesus speaking to some of the religious leaders as they were trying to trick him and asking him questions about the resurrection. Verse 29 says, But Jesus answered them, You are wrong. You know what happens? People will walk out of the church if a preacher tells them they are wrong you got to find a way around that. You can't just, okay, maybe I will. 
Jesus says, you are wrong because you know neither the Scriptures nor the power of God. You are wrong because you do not know the Scriptures and you do not know the power of God. Oh, how often that needs to be said in a church. We cannot, however, as we see this in somebody and as we go after somebody, we cannot put ourselves above them. Because if it wasn't for the grace of God that we have nothing to do with, right? His grace is a free gift. You did nothing to get it. You did nothing to earn it. You did nothing to catch His eye. This free grace is the only reason you and I are not like the most vile of sinners. Titus 3.3 says, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, let astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. That's who we were. So when we are going out to retrieve somebody and we put ourselves above them, we are fools ourselves. We think too much of ourselves and not enough of Christ. In Psalm number 1, it says, Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the paths of sinners. Verse 5 of that same psalm says, Therefore the wicked will not stand in judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. We need to remember who we are. We are blood-bought sinners. The blood of Christ is what bought us. The blood of Christ is what changed us. So when we go after somebody, we are not going after them in a position of superiority. We are going after them as somebody who is their peer, their equal, that has one thing different, the grace of God. And we want that grace to overflow from us onto them. We have one of those Brita filters at home, those pitchers with the Brita. Sometimes we stick it underneath the faucet to fill that top part up for it to filter the water. And we'll go about doing other things, and pretty soon that water's flowing over the top of the Brita. That's what grace should look like in us. It should be flowing over the top. And anything that's underneath of that Brita, when it's flowing over the top, is going to get wet, isn't it? And anything that is around us, when that's the way grace is in us, is going to see and feel that grace. When we go after these people, we need to remember that the wages of sin is death. Romans 6.23 Where they are headed is death. It is destruction. This isn't some minor detail. When someone has gone astray because they do not truly believe, they're on their way to hell. Shouldn't we stop them? Shouldn't we, as Spurgeon said, throw our arms around their knees, begging them to stay? Shouldn't we throw ourselves before them, making them leap over us into hell? Isn't that what someone who loves God and is a doer of the Word would want? We need to be that kind of an instrument for God. We need to be usable to Him. I say it that way, but as it comes out of my mouth, it doesn't sound correct because if we are His, there's no question about whether or not we are an instrument or a tool of His, is there? It's automatic because our surrender to Him. For years, I've always said that, that we're to be tools of God. You know, that's offended people. People have gotten upset over that, that terminology that we're to be tools of God. I can't think of a more blessed thing to be than a tool that's in the hand of God. Can you? I can't think of anything that I would rather be. If you work with tools at all, you have ones that you use more often than others, don't you? 
Because some tools just fit you and do a better job for you. At my house, I have two skill saws, two circular saws. I got one that sometimes decides not to work quite right. And I might be cutting through a board and it'll stop. I think Jared was recently trying to use that one not long ago. But I have another one that as long as it's got power, it's going to cut right through whatever I put on it. Pretty easy to pick which one I want to use, huh? Pretty easy. The tools that God's going to use are going to be effective tools. That's what I want to be. An effective tool for God. 2 Corinthians 5.18 Now all these things are from God who reconciled us to Himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. He reconciled us and then He gave us the ministry of reconciliation. What kind of tool are we to be? Tools of reconciliation. Sometimes, and we said this earlier, sometimes you have to say things straightforward to get somebody's attention. I've said this many, many times because it's a part of my growing up. My dad had some words that got my attention. Get the belt. That got my attention. I'm pulling over. That got my attention. When he said I'm pulling over and the car swerved, I could change my attitude. I could change my thinking. I could change anything to keep that car on the road. We need to be men and women of reconciliation. And sometimes those words that we use may be difficult to say. But if they're in love for the glory of God, then they're important. Paul says in Galatians 4 and verse 19, and this should be the heart that we have for those people. My little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. Isn't that the attitude that we should have? Shouldn't it pain and break our heart that we would suffer what it takes to show them Christ? To show them truth that they would be reconciled? See, all of this comes with the goal. The goal of turning them back. Turning them to Christ. We say, well, God does it all. We don't have to do anything. No. No, that's called hyper-Calvinism. Hyper-Calvinism basically says that God wound us up like a clock and set it down and we're all running out through time. And that's a lie. That's a lie. We are to be used of Him. We are to be seeking this goal of reconciliation. Of turning them back. Back to our Scripture here. Let Him know that whoever brings back a sinner. Some of your versions will say, whoever turns back a sinner. Turns them around. That brings to mind the, the understanding of repentance, doesn't it? To repent means to turn away from our sin, but not just away from our sin, but to God. And according to James here, and according to the Scripture, you and I get to be that. We get to be people that turn people. We get to be someone who turns someone away from their sin and to God. Acts 3, verse 19 says, Truly I say to you, unless you are converted and become like children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Back to my dad. One of those things about being his child was there were certain rules and responsibilities that I had. If I said somebody else was doing something, he would say, I don't care, that's not my child. That's not my child. You will do this. And there was no discussion. And I know that sounds silly and it sounds human, but let me tell you, that's what God's saying. If you are His, 
You are his child. And if you are his child, then you're going to serve him. And it takes being that child of God to enter the kingdom of heaven. Paul commented in 1 Thessalonians 1.9, Turn to God from idols to serve a living and true God. See, that's what these wanderers, that's what these people who have strayed away, it's idols. I ask people sometimes to describe Jesus to me, to tell me about Jesus. And there's a lot of things that people tell me about Jesus that don't match Scripture. So, either they have a misunderstanding of who Jesus is, or they have a different Jesus. Years ago, the royals used to have a player named De Jesus. Well, Jesus is what? Jesus. There's a lot of different Jesuses out there. There's a lot of Jesuses that are, are made up in the heart and the mind of man. Psalm 32 and verse 1, David exclaimed, How blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Okay, that brings us back to our goal. Our goal is for them to see Christ, for them to hear His Word, for them to have their sins covered. The end of verse 20 here will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. What is it that covers a multitude of sins? There's only one thing, the blood of Jesus Christ. That's it. Yours and my love, that doesn't cover a multitude of sins. The only thing that covers the sins of man is the blood of Christ. How many sins does it take for a person to miss the kingdom of God? Is it 10? Is it 20? It's a one, John says. It's one. One sin. Sad to say I have that done by the time I get out of bed in the morning because I am a sinful man saved by grace. We have a song that we sing from time to time. I don't think we've sang it in a while. song is Grace Greater Than Our Sin. Let me read you a few lines out of it. It says, Marvelous Grace of Our Loving Lord. Yes, I'm reading and not singing. Grace that exceeds our sin and our guilt. Yonder on Calvary's mount outpoured, there where the blood of the Lamb was spilt. Grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace, God's grace. Hear this last line. Grace that is greater than all my sin. What is the ministry of reconciliation? That is going out and showing those who are lost, or as James calls them, these sinners, the error of their way and the path of freedom in Jesus Christ. The covering of their sins. The washing away of their sins. Washed away as far as the east is from the west, Psalm 103 says. This is what James is charging us to do. This is what should bring us great joy. When I was in Texas, I met a man. They called him the soul winner. And this man would go out and visit people door to door. He tells a story of one day he was driving down the road and felt compelled of God to pull into somebody's driveway. He went up and knocked on the door and a voice came from inside said, come in. And he went in and there in the living room was a man in a hospital bed. And he began to visit with the man, to share Christ with the man, and to pray with the man. And as he did, the man began to weep. He began to shake and he began to weep. And he told 
the soul winner. I can't remember his name anymore. But he told this man who's called the soul winner, he said, I've just been waiting for someone to come and tell me this. Now I can die. You know, there may be a hundred people who do not want to hear what it is that God has to say. But it's that hundred and one person, that, that, that next person that needs to hear it that God is sending you out for. The first hundred, you can say we're practice. The first hundred, you could say we're showing you your resolve. You keep going. You keep going back. You keep sharing. I love this proverb. Proverb 11.30 says, The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he who is wise wins souls. That's from the NASB. He who is wise wins souls. How? With God's Word. Why? Because God's called us to it. Win every opportunity you get. So one more time, let's read our our text and bring this all to a close. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Will save his soul from death. Doesn't everybody die? That's not the death it's talking about, is it? It is talking about eternal death. And I won't go to the Scripture. You can look it up your, yourself. But the story of Lazarus and the rich man. We see very clearly as, as Jesus is giving this story of Lazarus and the rich man, how, how the rich man was a hard man, wasn't he? He had no compassion whatsoever for this, this beggar who was in need. No compassion. And then when they both died, and the rich man is in torment, it says, he's begging for a drop, just a drop of water. And when there is no help for him, this man of no compassion turns his mind and his heart to his family and says, well, at least go tell my brothers in my father's house about this place. Send Lazarus, because they'll believe if they see someone come back from the dead. And Abraham in this story says, no, they have Moses and the prophets. We have the Word of God. And in our compassion, we ought to be taking the Word of God to the people to save them from this end. From this place of torment, from this place of torment that he's talking about, from there, there's one place left to go. That's the lake of fire. That's hell. What is it that we are winning souls from? From that death. Eternal death. Eternal damnation. Eternal fire. Eternal brimstone. Eternal torment. That's what we're saving them from. And it feels funny to say that we're saving them because we aren't the one doing the saving. We are the tool. Joey and I changed a battery in his car this week. And we used a tool to tighten the battery down the best that we could. We used that tool and that tool grabbed that nut and it turned it. But we were the ones running the tool. What kind of tool are you for God? What kind of tool are you? Are you a tool of reconciliation? Or are you, as they say, just a tool? Please stand with me.
Heavenly Father, Lord, as, as we close and we bring this message to an end, Lord, we want to pray that it has honored and glorified You. Father, as we bring this message to an end, we ask that, that Your Word has spoken to us and moved us to Your glory. Father, I, I pray with all that is in me, I pray that You would use us individually and as a body, a local body, to be tools of reconciliation. Going not only to those that have wandered from this church, from this local body, but to those who have wandered away from Your Word that we know no matter where they are. That You would be glorified and that some of them would be saved from death, from hell, for Your glory. In the name of Christ Jesus, I pray. Amen. What sort of tool are you? This is the question that we all face. Every single one of us will stand before Christ on the day of judgment to receive from the Lord the things done in the body, whether good or evil. We'll be judged for our salvation based only on the blood of Jesus applied to us, but we will be judged for the work and content of our lives based on our obedience to His commands. Are we being useful tools? Are we being faithful? Are we practicing the ministry of reconciliation? Or are we simply living our lives with no concern for the eternal souls of those around us? We who have been saved by grace should be more evangelistic than those who are in hell. But as Pastor Jim reminded us today, the rich man in hell wanted to evangelize his family so that they would not end up where he was. We are called to be wise, to be soul winners by God's word in obedience to our master all the time in every place. May God make each of us faithful and useful tools for His glory. Hello friends, this week as we dig into the Reformation once again, I would like to share some of the reasons for the Reformation and the similarities in what we see today. And as I was studying this last week, I found myself in, in Malachi, and so I'd like to share some verses from Malachi, starting with Malachi chapter 1, beginning in the second verse. This is God speaking. I have loved you, says the Lord, but you say, how have you loved us? If I drop down to verse 6, it says, a son honors his father and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my fear? Says the Lord of hosts to you, O priest, who despise my name, but you say, how have we despised your name? As I look at these verses, I see a apathy. I, I see a lack of concern towards God. A lack of concern towards his honor. A lack of concern towards his glory. A lack of concern for people to know him and serve him and to make much of him. During the 16th century, when the Reformation came, for some time the Roman church had hidden the things of God, especially the Word of God, from the people. The average person had never seen a Bible. When the Word is hidden, those in leadership, they have to trust them to teach the truth. And that's not what was being done. There are many areas 
that the truth was being hidden. There's many areas that things were being added to God's Word. As our church has been studying, and you'll be seeing that series soon in Galatians, we have seen where Paul had gone in to Galatia, and he had started these churches. And after he had left the area, the Judaizers came in behind him. And the Judaizers began to add things to the gospel. In particular, they added the need for circumcision to faith. It wasn't faith alone or it wasn't grace alone, but you needed circumcision too. Of course, that is not true. Anytime we begin to add to God's word, we have changed to a different gospel. So as I look at these, there's this lack of respect for God, what God says, and who God is. In fact, if I look at Luke chapter 6 and verse 46, he says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? Friends, we see that in history, the Roman church was, was doing their own thing. They put other things above what God said in his word, what God taught. They put other things above God, and they added to what is needed for salvation. We know because of the Reformation, because of our ability to go to the Word of God and to read, that the only thing needed for salvation is God's grace, His grace alone, in Christ alone, by the means of faith alone, for His glory alone, and so says in Scripture alone. So we know this, but when we start adding to God's Word, We go away from God, and it is a new gospel. In Galatians, Paul says that he cannot believe that the Galatians so quickly turn to a different gospel. And then he says, as if there was a different gospel. In today's world, I look around, and all around us, there are people and there are churches that are turning away from the truth of God's Word because it is sometimes, or maybe I should say often, offensive. Oh, the sadness of those who would turn away from God's Word because they are offended by it. Those who would adjust God's Word to be less offensive. Oh, they cannot know Him. They've turned away from Him. And they say, Lord, Lord, but they do not do as He says. This idea, this, this way of thinking, this turning from God, as we look at Malachi, it's all through it. I look at chapter 2 and verse 17. It says, You have wearied the Lord with your words. But you say, how have we wearied him? By saying, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord. And he delights in them. Or by asking, where is the, the God of justice? You see, those are things we see in here today. The world is constantly saying that good is evil and evil is good. We see it all around us. I hear it in response to preaching preaching of truth. I have heard it in response to preaching and just the reading of God's Word. Oh, as we needed Reformation in the 16th century, we need to return to that Reformation. We need to return to God today. That's why this is such an important subject. It is my prayer that you would seek out truth, that you would not cling to the lies that may sound very nice, but do not match God's Word. Thank you again, and God bless. We want to thank you for joining us today. And we want to thank you for joining us in this journey through the powerful and dynamic book of James. It is indeed a book for our times.
If you've been blessed by this message or have questions about the content, about our ministry, if you have need of counsel or guidance or want us to pray for you, please reach out to us and let us know. We can be reached in many different ways. We can be called toll-free at 800-416-9352. That number again is 800-416-9352. Or you can find us on the web at www.lightofthewordradio.com. Once more, that's www.lightofthewordradio.com. Or you can reach us by mail at Light of the Word Radio, P.O. Box 1, St. George, Kansas, 66535. When you reach out to us in any of these ways, you can also inquire about participating in the support of this ministry. If you desire to partner with us to keep this broadcast on the air, please let us know. We would like to send you a gift of appreciation. At your request for a gift of any size, we will send you the book, On This Day, A Daily Guide to Spiritual Lessons from Christian History by Dr. Paul E. Barkey. This 640-page book is organized around each day in the calendar with stories from history and a biblical lesson for each. On This Day brings great stories from history to us and applies them to help lift our eyes upward to see the God who governs all of history. It's just one of Dr. Barkey's daily devotions that bring lessons to light from history, and it's yours free as a thank you for a gift of any size. Just mention that you would like the book when you call or write. Thank you for allowing us to spend some time with you. We hope that you will join us next time on Light of the Word Radio. Until then, I'm Pastor Eugene, and on behalf of all of us here at Light of the Word Radio, thanks, and may God bless you and bless the hearing of His Word.